Welcome to the Possibly Haunted Podcast. Two of our ghost stories with a uh, cat starting us off for this uh, <laughs> series. We had some trouble with this opening, so we're still a bit. We have the giggles still. Excuse my Again. coworkers here. We're beginning <laughs> my paid. <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, what? Also, you I started you it, Morgan. You started it with my time and attention. That's true. It's the most valuable monetary thing. She you can is have. a Leo, so. <laughs> Air day. <laughs> um, so, Cat's Coven Corner for this one was if you could have a, or if you had a familiar, what animal would be, what would you name it? And it's um, not your pet, so it can't yes, be Bentley. I, Bentley would be a shitty familiar. Like, he wouldn't do anything. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, familiar, like, go, go get me something. And he'd be like, excuse me? You give me things. Excuse me, it's 69 so. degrees outside, and it's too cold for me. I refuse to do any work today. <laughs> it is exactly I one would... degree too cold. I'm immune. <laughs> is that moisture? My paws, they can't. <laughs> uh, but I would pick an American kestrel, which Ooh. is part of... Kestrels are like little little cute little baby hawks. They're yes, small, they but they're, they are technically Me still too. birds of prey. Yes. Uh, so they're much really like cute. Morgan. I like them. <laughs> much like Morgan, a small, small bird of prey. bird of prey. <laughs> yes, I love that. They they eat insects and they'll even go for small rodents. So I'm like, yes, get rid of all the gross things around me. No, they will eat mice. snakes. I know. Sometimes they'll even go for red squirrels. Mm. Yeah. But mostly they'll eat insects, so I'm like, I just need a brood of them around me to eat all the insects so nothing touches me ever again. Deal. You know bubble blow- blowers also repel mosquitoes, though, so like... Those are the fish, right? No, bubble... Wait, like, bubble, bubble blow machines? Oh! <laughs> I know, you meant like the fish that like squirted water out of the... No, like, no. Pfft, and shot bugs and shit out of the air? <laughs> no, no, machines you fill up with bubble solution. Uh, Kills mosquitoes. Okay, well, I just don't go outside, so that yeah, works true. too. That works true. too. Very true. But these little birds are badass. First of all, the the males will um, take care of the females during breeding season. They'll bring them food and all kinds of shit first, and the, so they'll always the males will feed the females. I'm like, that's nice. Um, but also, groups of kestrels will harass larger hawks and eagles during migration. And they will even evict um, other birds out of their nests, like bluebirds, which everybody knows bluebirds are huge assholes. So, it's important to note. Yes. Um, They're also just, like, really pretty. I love this picture that I found, so I'll send it to you. But that that is my choice. It would be an American kestrel, and I would name it Nova. Nova! Oh, see, that's a normal name. love that. (laughs) And... You know, it's small enough that um, they can, like, spy for me, but they are still tough enough that they can, like, help protect me. That Do feels you think very... TSA would let you through? Oh. 
I mean emotional support predator hawk. <laughs> <laughs> My it's my emotional, emotional support, support bird. bird. <laughs> I uh, they're they're little. I love that. Wait, so I have a question real quick. Does any part of the lore of Morgana does she use birds? I feel like she does. She's probably associated with ravens. No, no, obviously ah. it's, it's a little different, but it, it kind of reminded me of that of like having, like especially when you said spy, it reminded me of Morpheus from Sandman and like you know, mm-hmm. um, oh shit, Odin and all that kind of stuff, kind of that that same kind of concept, but from the United States of American side, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and I did also choose an American one because I'm I'm in America, so it's like pick a bird that I could easily get. America and is used to America. the surroundings of like this environment, and so it can better be a predator, better protect you, better yes. you know that kind of thing. Facts. Native species are important, invasive species are bad. I love that. I really like and that, actually, Morgan. <laughs> invasive like species are actually a big problem in Texas, yeah. so. Yeah. We have kudzu here as our invasive species. It's a plant, and it hates us. Actually, one of our biggest problems are people stealing our turtles. Yeah. <gasps> How dare you steal the turts? We have uh, the red-ear sliders yeah. are native to Texas, and huh. people will find, game wardens will find people with, like, truck beds full of turtles yep. trying to take them out of state. So my plan on getting a tattoo that says we're here to burgle your turts isn't going to, like, <laughs> go well in uh, Texas. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. If you say it just like that, no one's going to know what the F you're talking about, so you're fine. Your Honor, Exhibit A. <laughs> I'm here to burgle your turts. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh. Well, I have chosen a, I think it's a suitable length of a story, um, from my lovely book here called, excuse you, it's called <laughs> Campfire Tales. It's called Billy's Ghosties. But it's big on the book. <laughs> it's called Quit Sneezing at Me, I'm Busy. <laughs> Uh, Ghoulies, Ghosties, and Long Leggedy Beasties. Ooh. I'm a William. long-leggedy beastie. Hey, baby. <laughs> You're a short-leggedy beastie. <laughs> That's why Sorry, I'm looking for but... my long-leggedy beastie. <laughs> it's cuffing season, Morgan. Uh-huh. I gotta get all my advertisements out there. <laughs> so, I'm gonna read to you my hey. story that I have picked. Um, and it's called... <clears throat> The Bog. The Bog. Four members of Bennisville Troop 752 had been friends all their lives. Scouting had allowed them to cement their friendship even further on many canoeing and camping trips near their hometown and on several high-adventure trips in Minnesota and New Mexico. But what lay ahead of them was far more sinister than any adventure they could have dreamed of. And it was going to happen practically in their own backyard. Just outside of Venniceville, there was a fairly large swamp, known locally simply as the Bog. It was large enough to be deep and dense, but not large enough to attract attention of developers, park service personnel, or even conservationists. The Bog had always been there. No roads went near it, no communities were positioned nearby. The bog sat by itself, tucked in a little-used portion of the state where time had passed it by. The stagnant water in the bog seemed lifeless. It attracted no fishermen. There was an unusual scarcity of bird life, so no bird watcher ventured into the hordes of mosquitoes to visit its remote water. Yet, Mm. the bog seemed so dense that it was hard to imagine that there was not some living thing, 
even a whole slew of living things within its borders. Do not let me give the impression that this swamp was actually lifeless. Everyone who had ventured into the waters near its edge could vouch for the fact that, indeed, there was life in the swamp. The mosquitoes had neighbors, biting gnats, black flies, swarms of bees, and although the water seemed to produce few fish, leeches abounded. Ugh. Oh, the waters of the bog had been tested to determine if there were pollutants, radioactivity, or unusual chemicals dissolved in them. The tests had always shown nothing of interest, and so the bog continued to be abandoned. It was abandoned for another reason, beyond lack of interest. There just seemed to be something mysterious about its uncharted waters. Perhaps something that might even be considered sinister. People tended to shy away from encountering this place. After all, there was never a really good reason to go. Even the Indians who used to roam the area had apparently avoided the bog's confines. I mean, but for Ralph, probably oh, for go good ahead. reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's a bog. Yeah. <laughs> but for Ralph, Bobby, David, and Chris, the bog held a special attraction. At first, they paid little attention to it. They were <clears throat> they were having plenty of fun with Troop 752, just starting their camping adventures. Then, those high adventure trips consumed their interest. But with these trips behind them, their thoughts turned to the bog. They knew how to handle the bugs they thought. They certainly knew how to camp and canoe. Swampy ground might make pitching a tent difficult, and perhaps there would be snakes and other creatures slithering around the ground. So they decided to pack along army surplus jungle hammocks with netting, besides their two tents. As Ralph and Bobby were slightly older than the other two, they would each take the stern of a canoe, with David and Chris manning the bow. Water filtration pumps, fire starter, hand axe and saw, as well as sleeping bags and other gear were divided equally between the two canoes, in case something happened to one of them. Each boy carried a compass. There was a to topographical map of the area, but it was featureless in the vicinity of the bog, except hmm. for map symbols representing a swamp. The boys decided that they would leave the week that school was out for summer vacation. All was ready when the time came, and early one morning, the four ex excited friends shoved off from the local highway bridge that spanned a watery section of the bog. The wilderness opened up on all sides of them, and with the air feeling heavy and smelling from the lush vegetation, they had expected mosquitoes, so they were ready with the bug dope, with the bug dope to keep them off. I don't think that's what you call bug spray. <laughs> I mean, probably somebody lives somewhere. I kind of like the idea of bug dope. <laughs> Uh, what they did not expect was the maze of islands, which they were finding difficult to navigate around. Frequently, the channels were choked with weeds or simply played out, ending on a marshy shore. Bubbles of marsh gas occasionally caused a sudden splash in the water near them, which seemed to accent the eerie feeling that they were all experiencing. The boys stopped on a marshy piece of land for lunch the first day, carefully purifying their water, which they acquired by shoving down on mats of floating seaweed and thus allowing water to percolate into the depression that formed. Gross. They're drinking bog water. I was going to say, I don't think that that works. You could have just brought water. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know. The canoe. Maybe they're dumb. Well, it's I was going to say, there's dumb. like, there is lore to like bog medicinal properties, but I don't think that's the way oh, to yeah. get it. No, 100%. One of yeah. the ways that they used to make um, different tinctures is you yeah. would get um, herbs that, there's an herb, I forget the name of it, but it sticks together like netting, 
Um, and you can make hmm. this little net that you strain things through, and it gets some of the medicinal pro properties yes. from that herb that you strain it through. So yeah. there is something to it. However, as somebody li lives <laughs> essentially on a swamp, gross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the weather favored them the first night so that by sunset they had selected a suitable campsite, unloaded the canoes, pitched the tents, and collected and sawed a store of firewood. It was easier to prepare drinking water this time as there was a deeper channel by the island they had chosen for the night. Hmm. They were all prepared for bad weather. The boys cooked a good supper, and as the mosquitoes were not all that bad, they sat around the campfire, happy to be in the great outdoors and on an adventure in an uncharted wilderness. The strangest thing about that night was the almost total lack of wildlife. It, it was as if they were canoeing back in time into some primitive swamp of the past. The deep stillness made many of the sounds around them seem amplified, and the boys feeling a little keyed up also added to the startle each other. Also added to the startle each of them. That's weird. That's a weird sentence. Mm -hmm. uh, when they heard a plop in the water right next to their camp. He's a frog. No, fur no further swishing sounds were heard, so the boys decided it was a lump of earth from the bank carving into the water. Not not like a fish jumping. He's a frog. In, in the night, as they lay in their tents, once again they heard the swish of water. It was barely 5 a.m. when daylight glowed along the eastern horizon of the bog. The two tents were capped and wreathed with smoky trails of fast-melting mist. In the open spaces, the ground was drenched with dew. Ralph lit the fire so that an hour later, when the others got up, hot water would be ready and a bed of coals formed to make cooking breakfast less of a chore. He set forth on an exploration of his island, but had gone barely ten yards when alongside the bank, a giant whoosh occurred. Ralph caught his breath at the sound, but then he soon saw what was happening. A large bubble of methane gas had escaped from the swampy floor of the bog, and it suddenly surfaced, bringing large chunks of rotten vegetation with it. Bob a, whole, a whole <laughs> mat of this material floated and bobbed in the wake of the sudden gas escape. Huh, that rhymed. Ralph cut his exploration of the island short and returned to the campsite. He waited patiently for the other boys to get up and busied himself fixing breakfast, um, even though it was David's turn to be chef that day. After breakfast, he told them of his discovery about the source of the swoosh sound that they had heard the night before. Well, that explains these clumps of floating debris that I've been having to push out of the way of the canoe, Chris remarked. Yeah, and some of those clumps are so big that they seem to be pushing right back, David, the other bowman, added. I've heard of something like this before, Bobby mentioned, in one of the large swamps down south. Maybe it was the Everglades or the uh, Okefenokee bubbles of methane mm -hmm. gas bubble oh, up large Florida. amounts. <laughs> 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 oh, the swamp. Sorry, that one got me. Uh -huh. That might be a little loud. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Florida. <laughs> they uh, bubble up large amounts of debris from the swamp floor. Those mats float around and act as a platform for larger plants to live on. They become floating islands. Then, uh, when roots from the plants become long enough, they anchor the floating islands, which become permanently fixed in one place. Finished with breakfast, the boys were anxious to shove off before the day became too warm. The reflection of the sun on the water and the stifling thickness of the air made the work of paddling their canoes all the more difficult. Ralph, what will we do if these islands we are charting float around and change their positions? Bobby called over from his canoe. We could get stuck back in the swamp forever. 
Ralph shouted back, I've been thinking along those lines myself. A fairly large stretch of open water promised to be a pleasant interlude from dragging their boats through weeds and trying to pull through the thick mud of the bottom. As they approached the open water, they noticed that the bottom deepened, deepened, beyond the reach of their paddles. But it was not to be an easy crossing. As the boys paddled, they suddenly realized they were not making much progress toward the opposite shore. It seemed as if they were glued to the water's surface. The light breeze was not hurting or helping them. It caused a small chop of waves, which was insignificant. It just seemed as if they struggled without progress. The breeze calmed down and the insect problem... Uh, the breeze calmed down the insect problem, and it gave the boys a chance to yank off their shirts and the insect head nets. Ralph soon realized that they were all sweating hard, with everyone paddling furiously, almost savagely along, but they were getting nowhere. Rats, he shouted. Hey, let's all cool off for a while. We're not going anywhere. Let's stop for a while and see what happens. With no other arguments, they stopped and rested their paddles across the canoe gunnels, stretched their aching muscles, and wiped the sweat off their faces. Feeling weary, yet so strangely excited, it was in the middle of the lake, in the bewildering chatter and confusion of explanations, that, very silently, the ghost of something horrible slipped in and stood among them. Ooh. It made all their explanations seem childish and untrue. They exchanged quick, anxious glances, glances that were questioning, and expressive of the dismay that they were beginning to acknowledge. There was a sense of wonder, of poignant distress, of trepidation. Alarm stood waiting at their elbows. This ghost was a realization that something they did not understand was having its way with them. They now rested quietly. <laughs> they now rested quietly after their initial joy, joyful excitement, feeling the little quivers that the light choppy waters made against their canoe. But as they bobbed, their quietness was a manifestation of the fear that each of them was beginning to know. And none of them seemed to want to hear the others acknowledge the same fear. But something really did seem to have them in grasp. It soon was becoming evidence that their canoes were drifting toward the north side of the lake, almost at right angles to their original line of travel. Hey, if this lake wants us to go to that northern shore, well, let's just help it out a little. Let's start paddling. With almost cheerful statement from Ralph, everyone bent to the task of paddling out of this lake, which they were beginning to fear. Even then, it seemed as if their progress just was not what it should be, that the lake held them with some invisible glue. Even with the slow progress, the marshy shore of the North End soon came close enough to view easily from the canoes. Check it out, Chris remarked. The shore seemed to be penetrated at regular intervals by streams that were flowing away from the lake. The land between these streams was marshy, so swampy that no obvious stopping place was evident. Our next campsite will be knee-deep in water if something better doesn't appear. Small, swampy islands located along the north shore were similarly unsuitable for camping. We've got to find some place not only dry enough, but where we can find firewood, or we'll be stuck just with our gas stove. There was ready agreement on that, so that even though the boys were capable of pitching hammocks above the swampy ground and cooking with their peak one stoves, they anxiously sought a piece of real estate where they could construct a more secure campsite. After several hours of probing the streams, searching among the islands, and drifting along the shore, the boys found what appeared to be an almost ideal site. Geez, this place looks like it was constructed for a campsite. 
this may not turn out so bad after all. One of them blurted out. Famous last words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, if you only knew. There was a restless feeling in camp that evening, and none of the boys wanted to leave the protection of the campfire. It was as if something was alive out there, something moving, slowly, almost unperceived, but yet most assuredly moving about them. The very land seemed alive. The boys felt as if there were other people out there with them. That night, they were sure of it. The swirling and sucking sound of the water washing along the shore, as well as the feeling of dread that they were all seemed to have, caused the boys to gather as much firewood as possible and maintain their fire late into the night. The eerie night noises prompted them to peer out now and again into the black void of the night. Suddenly, Chris saw something. It was a campfire flickering on an island about a mile away. Uh Someone must be there. They all looked and watched as the small campfire burned down too low for them to see anymore. After it disappeared, they all watched carefully for some sign of life, but they neither saw nor heard anything the rest of the night. The mystery of that night deepened the next day when they decided to leave their camp set up but canoe over to the island where they thought they had seen the fire. There was a long, oval-shaped island with large bushes in the center and several clearings, but no evidence of a fire. They spent the day searching other likely spots, but they could not find any evidence of the people whose fire they saw the night before. The next night, they again kept vigil by the fire. Sure enough, at about the witching hour of midnight, they again saw the fire flicker into life. As they watched, they thought they could see people moving around the fire. It was just too far away to tell for sure. Although they were surely more of the bog to explore, this seemed to be the crux of the mystery, to find out if a lost race of people were living back here. The next day, they again canoed over to the island where they had seen the campfire. They still could see no evidence of the campsite or indication where the fire might have been built. Christopher designed a plan to solve the mystery. He decided that it would be a good idea for them to move to the island and camp out there instead of staying where they were. But their present spot was so ideal that the others would not agree. They would have to cut firewood and canoe it over to the new site. The island seemed too damp, the clearings were small, and the bushes probably had too many mosquitoes. They all had reasons why they would not camp there. All that is except Christopher. All that is except Christopher. This is not a very good writer, I gotta say. (laughs) Um, Not a good editor. Yeah. When he could not get the others to agree to spend the night there, Christopher announced he would do it himself. You've got to be crazy, Chris, Bobby, his canoeing partner, told him. But Christopher was determined to solve the mystery. Also, why are we interchangeably calling him Chris and Christopher? Like... Just just stick with one. This is just word vomiting. It's all good. <laughs> <clears throat> and besides, you guys, the camp is only about a mile away. We can shout back and forth if we need to. I'll keep my fire burning all night if I'm scared and one of you do the same. It won't be that bad. But the others were buying none of it. They did not want anything to do with the swampy, mysterious island. They spent the rest of the day breaking out Christopher's camping gear from the rest of theirs gathering the firewood, food, and purified water that he would need. By nightfall, they had him in his camp, and they were back at theirs. As darkness fell, the fires burned brightly in both camps. Occasionally, the boys shouted across the water to each other, Chris's voice sounding so alone and far away. At just about midnight, Bobby was poking the fire with a stick, watching the sparks leap skyward. He looked up just in time to see Chris's campfire suddenly disappear. He thought, 
boy, is he a brave one. I'd probably keep my fire going all night. Thinking to reassure Chris a little, he called over. Hey, Chris, did the mo- boogeyman get you? But there was no Yeah, reply. that's reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby shouted several more times with the other guys also joining in, but they were to receive no answer from Chris's camp that night. At first light the next day, the three anxious boys hopped into, can- to- into a canoe and paddled over to Chris's site. His canoe was floating free, not nestled up against the shoreline where Chris's camp should have been. When I say should have been, I mean precisely that. The boys felt a sense of panic and sickness in the pits of their stomachs when they could find no trace of Chris's camp whatsoever. Mm. It's just like the fires we've been seeing the previous two nights. There's not a sign of anyone ever being here since the beginning of time. The boys widened their search, checking nearby islands and the shoreline. But they could find no trace of Christopher because they, because they had his canoe. They knew he did not, you know, canoe away. Their great adventure has suddenly turned into a horrible nightmare. Late in the afternoon, after checking all of their surrounding areas several times, even desperately calling his name during moments of panic and anger, the boys returned with the two canoes to their campsite. They sat around their camp in a state of shock and disbelief, discussing what they should do. They felt the overwhelming urge to travel back to town and request help, but they did not want to leave Christopher behind, wherever he was. There was a remote chance that they could still solve the mystery of the island. Before dark, Bobby came to a decision. (laughs) Hubris! (laughs) He announced to the other guys that he was going to spend the night at Chris's island to see if he could solve the mystery. Oh my god. Ralph and David objected, but Bobby would not give in. I owe it to Chris to see if I can find out what happened to him. Bobby packed up his gear, taking everything he needed. Uh, He took his canoe and paddled over to the island as the others watched. Both camps started a fire just before dark. That night, a thin layer of fog caused the fire from Bobby's camp to glow peculiarly. Peculiarly. I can't say the word. Thank you. (laughs) I'm having trouble. In the distance. Neither Ralph nor David were able to try to sleep. They watched Bobby's camp intently as the night wore on. They called back and forth, but the distance was too great to clearly hear what was being said. Then, about midnight, the very thing that Ralph and David were dreading happened. The light from the other camp suddenly went out. They were almost in a panic, but they could do nothing about it. They knew that canoeing in pitch black would be a hazard. And they were too scared to consider leaving their camp. They could feel the blackness of the night crawl closer around them. The water gurgled and swished at the shoreline. The Mm. chill of the night and the surrounding dampness made the night unbearable. At first light, they found themselves madly paddling their canoe over to Bobby's Island, but his campsite was not to be found. There was no evidence of a fire, and there was no sign of Bobby's clothing, sleeping bag, or footprints. Nothing showing human habitation was left on the island. The boys stood on the swampy island in a state of shock. They hardly knew what to do. Ralph wanted to go home, but David knew that they had to find the answer to this mystery and was not about to leave his friends behind. He would not listen to Ralph's pleas that they get out of there as fast as they could paddle. David sighted a gleam in the water that turned out to be Chris's and Bobby's canoe floating full of water. Both life jackets and one paddle were missing. Back at their campsite, Ralph and David talked it over. 
How can we possibly go back now? We may never find this place exactly again. You know how these islands seem to be floating around. We may mm. never come to this exact point on this lakeshore or find that island that Chris and Bobby were camping on. And how about the mysterious campfires that we saw before they disappeared? If someone is out here, we must make contact with them. We no, can't you don't. tell their parents that we left <laughs> them behind. And oh, with that, David completed their discussion, <laughs> except for one more thing. Ralph, I know of only one way to solve this problem. We have to camp out on the island ourselves. Oh my gosh, oh. no you don't. Oh, Ralph would so hear none stupid. of it. <laughs> he was not about to stay on that island. Well, Ralph, David said, I'm going to take that canoe and go over there myself tonight. Oh, I'm going Ralph. to find out for myself what's going on. David couldn't believe it, or Ralph couldn't believe it. He was not about to spend the night on that island. The campsite that they had was spooky enough, and now he would have to be there alone. But he was not going to the island. They spent the day in brooding silence. Ralph was too mad at David to really talk to him. That night, David departed and set up his camp at the island. The night seemed to fall all too quickly for Ralph, and he was glad he had a good fire to hold back the edge of darkness that surrounded his camp. There in the distance was the flicker of David's campfire. Then, almost precisely at midnight, the very thing that Ralph was dreading the most happened. The small flickering fire on the island disappeared. Ralph's yeah. heart was in his throat, it seemed. He felt a sense of panic, for he knew that he was in the swamp all alone. But more than that, he felt an incredible lonesomeness. Okay, that's a choice. The best friends that he had in the world. <laughs> this is Morgan reviews scary stories. Um, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> the best friends that he had in the world were no longer with him, and there was not a thing that he could do about it. With daybreak, Ralph canoed the lonely stretch to the island. Again, he found nothing. He looked carefully to see if he was on the right island. Somehow, it did not look quite right. He had tramped over the marshy area so much that he had begun to know it. Or so he thought. Its oblong shape seemed smaller to him, but there was no other island close enough that he could be mistaken about the location. It had been in sight from his campsite, and he had followed the same azimuth to reach it. A straight shot from the camp. Ralph knew that he could really do nothing for his friends, but he was also worried about how to get out of this mess himself. It should not be all that hard to, but this time, he would have to do it alone. Still, he could not tear down his camp and leave just yet. He would spend one more night at their campsite, still hoping that he might be able to make some sense of their disappearance. He's, well, he's, on, he's, uh, he's staying on the safe island. Okay, I thought yeah. I thought he was he was gonna go. Oh la di da, the island that ate all my friends. You know, <laughs> no, <laughs> that'd um, be real mad at him. <laughs> that night, he watched over the dark lake with both fear and sadness as com as competing emotions. As he sat contemplating the events of the last several days, Ralph was suddenly jarred into action by what he saw in the distance. A flicker of light appeared from the island campsite. He yelled out as loud as he could, but each time he listened. He heard only the swish of water in return. Soon the light again disappeared, but Ralph felt a sense of hope. In the daylight, his, his position did not seem so bleak, and as he gained his courage, he also resolved to do the very thing that he knew all along, deep down, that he had to do. He would have to move his camp to that dreaded island. Ah. There you go, cat. <laughs> 
he would have to find out what the mystery of that place was for himself. He would not leave his friends behind, no matter what their fate, or no matter what his might become. I am not. He broke. This, I am not a protagonist in this case. No, no. <laughs> I am. He the broke very beginning. camp. He broke camp and returned to the island. The ground in the middle of the island was spongy, but he was able to clear an area for a safe fire. He erected his tent. Standing around here as like standing on a waterbed, he thought to himself as he squared his campsite away. Um. It was sure a <laughs> letdown from the comfortable camp. Someone's paying attention from the comfortable Somebody camp. Somebody already knows what's going on because she <laughs> lives on a swamp. <laughs> yep. Yep. The wetness of the place made the camp miserable. Ralph decided to place his bedding and most of his gear in the canoe and tie the canoe to the shore, allowing it to float free. As darkness fell, he made sure that he had plenty of firewood on hand. In fact, he had about three times as much firewood as he thought he would need, certainly more than the others had brought. With nightfall, the dampness became even more noticeable. Mm. Hour after hour, as Ralph stood around the eerie camp, suddenly he heard a familiar sound. It was the swoosh of water as gas from the swamp's floor bubbled up to the surface. And mm. although this attracted his attention, not too far away near the shore, he saw a flare of light upon the water's surface. He stared at it, flickering, then climbed into his canoe for a better view, allowing the canoe to drift a little away from the island's edge. Suddenly, there was a massive shift of the island. The entire center where his camp was located, yep. folding in on itself, <laughs> mm -hmm. his campfire disappearing in the rush of water and hiss of steam. A wave rocked his canoe as Ralph stared in disbelief, but he now learned the secret of the island. The campfires that they had been seeing were actually will-o'-the-wisp, the phosphorescent, phosphorescent light sometimes seen in the air over marshy places, and the island was a floating island, just as they had known all along. But what they did not realize was that this floating island was not able to support their weight for a long period of time. The center of the island would suddenly sink under the weight of the campers standing on it, just yep. folding together and dragging mm -hmm. the struggling victims <laughs> underwater. With each collapse, the island had been growing smaller, and Ralph realized that his companions would be buried forever beneath the muck, quicksand, and water of the lake. Yeah, I, as soon as you said that it was squishy, I was like, oh. <laughs> Also, y'all can't see this, but like, Kat, like, this is a really nice story. We're kind of just relaxing. So Kat's not really in the video until she needs to go, uh-huh, that's right. But she just pops her little head up, and I'm just like, this is excellent commentary. Well, at yeah. some point, I started giggling because I can just see Kat's uh, camera being like, yeah, and she was like moving around, and I was like, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> Emphasis. It's because I have things to say. <laughs> so that was maybe, um, maybe just a little bit long. That's good. Uh, that was but good. I thought it was a really good story. I liked it, and while it wasn't technically supernatural. Uh, it's I, I thought that was fascinating. Well, and it's good. also anybody who goes to the Okefenokee knows exactly what they're not supposed to do. So I claim <laughs> unrealistic. Well, no, so this is what and I was going to say. This is a great lesson. If you are not from a swampy area and you decide to do swampy things, you take a local with you, and don't yeah. and don't also, misunderstand natural phenomenon versus actual it, spooky phenomenon. Yeah, it used or to be a thing go. that when you would go to like a swamp or a marsh yes, area. And you're an asshole teen, um, <laughs> which I'm not saying I was, but you know, uh, is you would try to see how far you could run across those things before you sink. Oh so. my god. <laughs> okay.
Okay, no, you know what? Like, you're like, oh, that's such, that's so stupid. Yes, yes, it is. But I know yeah. my Boy Scout troop would have absolutely done that. Would have mm. absolutely done that. Not saying that they mm. were assholes, but just teenage, teenage dirtbag stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a TikTok um, sound a while back that was like, were you a teenage dirtbag or were you in Susicle? And I was like, I was both. Thank you. I literally <laughs> sent that, I sent that to Kat and I was like, I know you were both, but this is hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's another meme anyway. about that too that was like, um, if you were a marching band, you couldn't have been a dirtbag. And I'm like... How many marching bands Excuse have you been a part me? of? Like, fuck off. Like, have you ever I'm not saying I was a dirt kid. But have you met, like, have you been in the back of a band bus? Don't, don't talk to me right now. Oh my God. <laughs> I was a huge dirt bag. Like any marching band kid, we're total freaks. Yeah. That's what makes you guys so cool. And why I dated multiple bands. Exactly. Kids. <laughs> Can't deny. Also like the most highly sexualized teenagers you'll ever meet. I don't know why we're all in marching band, but we are. And it's insane. And they even comment like, on instruments, that in mean girls overly sexually <laughs> over sexual whatever yes. band kids it's it's worldwide it's known yeah yep it is anyway known. <laughs> yes anyways <laughs> so that was my little not exactly a ghost story but we'll call it the name of the book we'll, it's a campfire story that's really your spooky cool. little life yeah lesson. i liked it also you did an and excellent it was called saying the like, like reading it like i love listening to you so and cat tell stories because y'all are storytellers i'm over here like read every word like it's a textbook <laughs> no there was some that i skipped and um i wish i had yeah. skipped some of those words Lone lonesomeness like why why mm. not just go with loneliness because the person doesn't have an editor, that's why. That's why I was like, that was a choice. That was I a know, word that choice was right such there. A Morgan review. I, that was a choice. Anyways, continuing. I'm just imagining Morgan as like the aunt of my one child that I adopt haphazardly, and her oh, yes. reading a night bedtime story and being like, "Well, this was poorly edited, so uh, good night." <laughs> and, you know, just me. Um, I might be a librarian, but uh, you know. I have never successfully written a book, but I, by damn it, will judge this person's writing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've read enough. You've learned basic editing skills. You know. You know. We'll do NaNoWriMo this year, and then you'll write a novel and call it a day. But Yay. if you have any other stories, edited or not, that you would like us to read in a future episode, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you don't have social media, no problem. You can always email us at possiblyhauntedpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, remember, whether your swamp has got regular old methane gas or whether it's got real Will-of-the-Wisps, any of those bogs could be possibly haunted. I'm just a boggy dirtbag, baby.